here is going to remain here as long as my spirit and my name are here. But when my spirit and my name are no longer here and they are withdrawn from this place that I have been given to, that I would bleed for, that I would die for, and that I would rise again for, that I would send a comforter for, that I would send a promise for, that I will proclaim a name and a life and a generation and in a future and an eternity for, until my name and my spirit are called out of this earth, while it is light, I am here. I am the light. While my name is here, while my truth is here, I am light. And it must accomplish what it needs to accomplish until the time comes when I pull out the light and then darkness comes and man can no longer work. The Bible says it appears unto man once to die and then there is judgment. And the truth is, is we are still living in the light of Jesus Christ today. We still receive His Spirit. We still receive His precious promises. We still receive of His goodness and of His mercy, which are new every morning. We still feel His presence. Amen? We still feel His touch in our lives and in our bodies. There is still healing happening today. There is still salvation and deliverance happening today. Oh, come on, somebody. There is still the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that is happening even in a nation like the United States of America, even today, we are still living in the light. We are still living in the light season for the name of Jesus still speaks light into the darkest of all dark things in this world. It penetrates through the boundary of sin and it reveals the truth that there is life and life more abundantly in him. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I love that song. He makes a way where there is no way. I'm going to tell you, he still saves. He still heals. He still delivers. He still does the work in which he was manifested in this earth to do. And they will not cease until the day where his spirit is called from this earth and the church is raptured out. And then men will struggle in the night when no man can work because there will be no healing spoken in the name of Jesus. There will be no receiving of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. There will be no need for baptism in the name of Jesus. It will be calamity among calamities. Darkness will cover the earth. But until that day, right now, we tarry in the light. And so what we have is an opportunity to operate in what God has given us. He has given us a truth. He has given us a word. He has given us a message to be resounded among our world and among our city and our families. Going into the highways and the byways, teaching the gospel. You are all witnesses. You are all carriers of that great and precious promise. Yes, we still celebrate his triumphant entry into this world and into the city gates of Jerusalem where upon the cross and through the grave he gave us the most wonderful promise that we could have salvation in his name. And we still have that light. We still live in that light. We still preach that light. We still declare that light. So what time that we still have, what do we do with what remains of the day? 
And I take my question from the moments that transpired after Jesus would come into Jerusalem, after he would lead them to the tabernacle, after he would begin to deliver them of their fear and make way as he began to order the steps that would lead from Jerusalem to Golgotha. What was the response of Jesus for the remainder of the day? In John the 12th chapter and verse 49 and through verse 50, it simply says that, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, and He gave me commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His commandment is life everlasting. For whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. What I do, I do because it has been given to me of this time and the commandment to do. And I speak as I've been commanded to speak. I preach as I have been commanded to preach. I heal as I have been commanded to heal in the time that I have been given to do it. Time, he knew, was running short. Everything that had been given for Christ to do was culminating up unto the cross. You realize after the cross, he would resurrect. He would only be shown 40 days. And then he was gone again. And then he would send his comforter, his spirit, his presence 10 days later. And what we would now have is the revelation, the light and the truth of Jesus Christ being preached from the day of Pentecost until this very time. So what happens in the time that Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he is led to Calvary? He didn't just come into Jerusalem and then go to Passover. That was still three days away. He didn't just come into Jerusalem and then immediately go sit with his disciples and break bread. He didn't just immediately go tell Judas what you do, do it quickly. There was still much time to speak, much time to teach, much time to reach, much time to minister. In three different gospels, Jesus in his time after his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he taught the crowds, he rebuked the Pharisees, and he in, in all of that time, he also had enough time to rebuke a tree. But nothing that he says was out of order. Because what he says, according to Scripture, he declares from his own mouth. It has been given unto me to declare. I think that's very important for us to take into consideration the words of Jesus Christ. That whatsoever he says, it wasn't just something that God manifested in flesh, uh, was in that moment spontaneous, but God was very orderly because it had already been commanded of him to say. If you think about that, that weighs pretty heavy that the ministry of Jesus Christ was ordained. The weight of heaven balances on every word. Lest a man be born again of water and of spirit. Oh, you vipers, whited sepulchres, full of dead men's bones. Marvel not that I say unto you every word. He said, I spoke as I was commanded. The flesh of Christ was even under subjection to the spirit that created for the purpose 
I don't believe that at any time that Jesus would ever spoke a mistruth. But I do believe that Jesus was referencing the very weight of eternity that was upon him in his ministry. That to him, it was showing that I'm more than a man. I'm more than a savior. What is being spoken and declared unto you has been spoken and declared unto you since before time began. So he declared these things. He spoke to a fig tree. He taught parables. And he encountered the public and the Pharisees. His struggle to bring salvation to the people endured the offenses of all sorts. But in the remainders of that day, he faced a tree, he faced a church, and he faced a people. A tree that would not give, a people that would not receive, and a priesthood that would not believe. People that would contend with the very things in our way and our way contrary to the desires of God are very much like the tree. According to Jeremiah the 8th chapter and Hosea the 9th chapter, the fig tree was a symbol of Israel. It was kind of a simile and so it's very poetic that it was a fig tree in his way. The the place that he goes after the fig tree is he goes to the temple. But here's also what's very significant. In the book of Matthew, Jesus goes from Jerusalem to the fig tree and then back to Jerusalem. But Mark dictates that the fig tree was in his way. Then he went to Jerusalem and on his way out, there was the fig tree again, dead the second time. So it's very funny how Israel being the symbolic nature of the fig tree is what is in his way. And the very thing that Jesus wanted, the Bible said that Jesus hungered. And there was a fig tree in his path. Jesus desired to stay, to save and there was a city full of people and unbelievers in his way. Jesus desired to set free and there was a city full of mockers and scoffers in his way. Jesus wanted to be received, but there was a a city full of those that would reject him and rebuke him in his way. It's very poetic. But here's my contention with victory and with what happens in this time. Because I would say right now that there are things that are in your way that are natural oppositions with deep spiritual implications with it. Here is where I say, it would not be uncommon for a tree to be in the way. It would not be out of the ordinary for a tree to be in the path along the road. I thought there would be a tree. But there was a tree and he hungered. Now I know I've taught a little bit of this before. 
But according to Scripture, nature bends to the will of the mind of God. Does it not? I got about 10 amens. Yes, it does up here. Does nature not bend to the mind and the will of God? Just to prove the point, Jesus tells Simon Peter, because they question him about his giving of offerings, Jesus says, well, go to the sea and cast a line, and you will find tribute. Peter goes to the sea. He casts in a single line, not a net, a line. And he pulls out a fish with a coin in his mouth. Enough to pay the tribute tax and cover expenses for both Jesus and Peter. How about the other consideration? That also regarded the fact that Jesus told Peter to do something and he didn't tell him what he would find or how much he would find, but he told him, go and just cast a line and bring back what you catch. Well, we got houses falling apart back there. How about when the Bible says that the disciples were fishing and Jesus asked them, Friends, have you any meat? And they said, no. We've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. Cast your nets again unto the other side of the ship. Now Jesus didn't bend down and whisper to the water. He didn't speak fish. He didn't go. He didn't. I don't know what fish sound like, so. He, he, didn't, he didn't speak sea language. But he spoke. And nature responded to the will of God. Cast your nets unto the other side of the ship. And when they cast their net, fish. And the Bible didn't say, and they waited another few hours. The Bible says, and immediately they drew their nets with so many fish that the boat almost began to sink. You know what? I bet you a bunch of school fishes, uh, a school of fish were like, listen, I got to be the first one there. <laughs> Why? Because when the will of God began to speak into nature, it moved. So the moment that Jesus hungered, that tree should have been able from within itself to bring forth fruit. Regardless of this one thing, for it was not yet the time for figs. Time and nature have no bearing on the authority of God to speak. Therefore, that tree had an issue naturally 
to not respond to the Word of God as it should. And when the tree did not give Jesus what he hungered for, he said, you will therefore now grow no more fruit ever. And you shall dry up hence. Whether it withered with their eyesight right there or they went back the next day and it was gone, it was done. Because he spoke it. It wasn't the, 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 the mind or the will of God declaring. This was the word of God. You're done. And immediately the tree drew up and died. Unfruitful things. He turns to his disciples as they marveled after this. And they're like, oh my word, what in the world just happened? And this is what I will tell you, the authority that God has spoken into your life. When natural things that are tied to spiritual ramifications begin to get in your way of what you need to do with God, the only thing that you need to do is speak the word of God to it with authority and it will remove itself. What do you think that he meant when he said, if you had faith like as a mustard seed you should speak to this mountain what do you think a mountain is it's nothing more than the same thing that that fig tree is it's something natural that has spiritual ramifications in your way if you can't get to where you need to go because of the mountains in your way speak to your mountain honey if you can't be what you need to be in Christ because of spiritual things and spiritual oppositions like a job Or worries, or cares, or fear, or depression, or anxiety. All you do is you speak the word. And you just watch it wither up and poof. Or you watch it pick up its saddlebags and just get up and walk out. Unfruitful and unable to give God what he desired in his hunger. And I can't tell you right now, there's a lot of people that are like that. Not that they can't give God, but that they won't give God. They won't give God because they won't let go of their hurt. They won't give God because they won't let go of their doubt. They won't give God because they won't forget. They won't give God is because we don't really need to get into all of the reasons why people won't. Because sometimes when you begin to speak these things, they hit a little bit too close to home. And people get a little uncomfortable when problems get spoken a little bit too close to home. Oh, now, preacher, don't get on my toes now. Well, maybe it's good to have someone get up on your toes every now and then. It makes you realize that you're still alive. And you can still feel. And if you're still alive and you can still feel, you can still move. And if you can still move, you can still give something to God. And you can still respond in His presence. And you can still receive. And you can still worship. And you can still be faithful. And you can still praise. And you can still pray. And you can still love one another. And you can still uphold one another. And you can still love one another. And you can still pray for one another. And you can still lay hands. Mm, come on. 
John the 19th chapter, we deal with the people that would see as we dealt with this morning and still not believe. And on the other end, there were those that believed, but they still would not move because they were afraid of what others would think. So what is left to do? And now you've got the religious hierarchy because now they are unbelieving when they've got everything before them to believe. I just don't get people sometimes. I do my best. But it's not my job as a pastor to understand everything and every part of everybody's life. My job as a pastor is to be here and to be a confidant and to be a leader and a teacher and a prayer partner and someone that can help you and assist you and guide even if I don't have the answers because I don't know who does. My job is to keep you reminded that God is able to make a way, that God is able to work in this situation. God can still do something with this mess. God can still put it back together. God can still heal this situation. God can still uh, save the mind and the spirit and the soul. God can still restore this marriage. God can still fix things. When you're worried and when you're wanting to give up, God can still do the work. When, when you're feeling about throwing in the towel, God can still reach in. My, my, I'm here to let you know that there are others that are going to contend with you even when you have seen what God can do, but you refuse to believe it because you just don't want to conform. Listen, I'm not going to browbeat people. The word of God is not there to, to beat people over the head with the word and make you conform out of force. The word of God is there to let you conform into his image out of relationship. Come on, you've got potential. You've got what it takes to live for God. You can make it. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. You had the people that would not receive and that you had the Pharisees that would not believe. So what do we do now with Christ for this time that remains? If we're facing spiritual opposition and oppositions of natural things and oppositions of people, And I've come to this conclusion tonight that what remains of the day is this. We either ponder Him, leave Him, or believe Him. If you are considering these things, then leaving leaves those that walk away sorrowful and that never ends up good. The prodigal left his father's house. He ends up in the pig pen and he wasted all of his living in riotous sub in his substance and riotous living. And he found himself longing for the things that the pigs and the swine did eat. He had nothing. He was nothing. And he was sorrowful for the day that he even walked away. But what makes us leave in the first place? Is it, is he's not good enough? No, he's great. 
Is he not loving enough? No. He loves beyond all measures and more than anyone could ever love another individual. No greater love hath a man than this, than a man lay down his life for a friend. There is nothing like the love of Jesus Christ towards us. For while we were yet sinners, the Bible said God commended his love towards us and died for us. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, the 19th chapter, that a young man came to Jesus who not only obeyed the commandments, but wanted eternal life, but still loved this earth just enough. And the Bible says Jesus loving him, therefore love is not the problem. Loving him beheld him said, one thing thou lackest, go and sell what you own, give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And the Bible says, and he walked away. He left him sorrowful. For his possessions were many. I'm going to tell you something. The Bible tells us to not love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. And I don't want to be found guilty of trying to hoard things and harbor, uh, keep things that aren't going to make me any earthly good. If I can't take it with me, it's doing me no good. I've been too blessed by the hand of God to withhold anything from Him. Leaving is not an option especially over an inability to give him what he wants out of me. What is it that he requires of you? Well, one, don't live for yourself. Am I, am I going too long tonight? Why would we leave him? He, one young man left him because his possessions were many. He left him because it was going to cost him financially. How about Judas? The Bible said, when the Lord looked at him and he said, what thou doest, do it quickly. And Judas left him there with the other 11. He comes back into the garden and Jesus says, friend, wherefore art thou come? He kissed him and then he betrayed him. And then now after he's looking out and he's seeing what they're doing to Jesus, he looks at the 30 pieces of silver and it wasn't worth it. What were? Nobody really knows if it was political. Nobody knows if it was really just trying to push the hand of Jesus to overthrow uh, the government because he said that I will do so. The king of the Lord was expected to do so. There, there are so many theories. It never just says that Judas wanted to do this. All it said was, there was a man. Jesus said he was a friend. He said he was going to be betrayed. He said he was going to give it into the hands of men. He told the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. One of them did. It turned out to be Judas. Judas kissed him. He tried to return the money. He repented in himself. He could not forgive himself in his repentance. Here's the other thing about Judas. Man could not forgive him of his thing. I don't fault Judas so much. I don't want y'all to crucify me over this. But the Bible does say that when Jesus was crucified, the blood was shed. 
Jesus repented in himself and he took back the money and the priests are the one that said, we can't take it, it's the price of blood. So Judas left the money there and then he went and he hung himself sorrowful. Why? Judas had repented, but because man could not forgive Judas, Judas couldn't forgive himself. And he never even consulted whether or not God was faithful enough to forgive him. Because I will ask you this very one question. Would God ever call somebody only to condemn them to hell? So if it was appointed unto man to hand Jesus over, then Judas could not be called and appointed. Anyways, I don't want to get into that. The Bible said Judas repented in himself, but he found no place. And when he returned the money, that the men would not receive his offering. I want to tell you one of the worst things that you can do for somebody is when they try to come and make things right for... When somebody comes to you and they want to restore relationship and they want to make things right, it doesn't have to be how it used to be, but woe unto the man that says, I won't forgive you. Jesus taught about that, didn't he? The Bible said a man comes, uh, Jesus was teaching us a parable of a man that didn't have enough money to pay his debt and the man was forgiven and then he went and he beat up a man that didn't have the money to pay up his debt and when the man that he owed the debt to found out, he went and he took everything from him and his family and he cast them out. Let me tell you something, I don't want to be the one that's harboring any animosity against someone, especially when they've got the spirit to come and say, I'm sorry. Leave him only leaves people sorrowful. The sad truth is this. There really is no leaving him. He doesn't walk away. You can choose not to talk to him. You can choose not to think about him. You can choose not to let him take place in your life, Brother Micah, but it doesn't matter where you go or, or what you do or how far you get. You don't leave him. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you, the moment that you get down in your life and you say, God, are you there? He goes, yep, I'm still here. I've been waiting for you to come for a long time. I ain't ever let you, I, I would have helped you out so many times. I would have made things better if you would have only known I don't leave. So what's next? Ponder. Mary didn't understand everything, but she wasn't in a place where she said, God, I don't want this. I don't want what you have for him. I don't, mean, I, I don't need this in my life. I don't need this weight, but I really don't feel like I need to walk away at this time. Mary hears in the book of Luke how the angels come to the shepherds in the field and when they come and they begin to witness to her that the Lord has, they, uh, we've been visited and, and the angelic host let us know that our salvation is here, that the light and the hope of all nations is here. The Bible said that Mary, when she heard these things, she pondered them in her heart. She pondered the words of the shepherds in her heart. What do you do with the time that God has given you left while it is still yet day? You think about what he has said and spoken unto you because you can't leave.
And you can think on that word, but that word is initially going to do something in your life. And time always tells the truth about what you are pondering. The Bible said in John the third chapter that Nicodemus came to Jesus believing that he was a prophet, believing that he was a good man, believing that he was an anointed teacher and that he was doctrinally sound. But the more that he began to think about what Jesus was saying, the more that he began to think about what Jesus was teaching, the more that he began to think about what Jesus was doing in the lives of those, that their eyes were open and their ears were unstopped and the lame was reached in the... um, This was more than just a man and more than just a prophet. The more that you think he secretly comes to Jesus, you have to let these things work themselves out in time. See what becomes of the thoughts that you have towards Jesus and what you see and what you feel and what you know in him to be true because time will tell. Because the more that you think about him, the more that he knocks at the door of your heart and the more it's easy to let him in. To give him a chance. Nicodemus would be one of two men that come and plead for Pilate for the body of Jesus Christ. Joseph of Marimathea. We never heard about him until this time, but he was a secret follower. Oh, I know. There are so many people right now, I guarantee you, that they would be in this church if they would just give in to what they are starting to hear in their spirit. If they would just give in to what they're starting to hear in their mind, give God a chance. Go to that church. Respond to that invitation. But time will tell. And so our last option is this. What do we do with the time that remains? You either leave him You ponder him or you believe him. Since time is not something that we have the promise of, you need to hurry up and let those things which you are pondering convince you that he is strong enough, that he is good enough, that he's mighty enough, and that he is able enough, that he's merciful enough, and that he is gracious enough. Because they that believe on him, the Bible said that, that they receive him, and when they receive him, that there's gladness in them, there's joy in them, there's healing in them, there's peace in them. He that believeth and is baptized, the same shall be saved. Believing on him is only a part of of receiving the gospel. And there is something that is connected that if you believe the gospel, it has an immediate effect and change in your life. Uh, Next week, I I know already for Easter, when I'm preaching, I'll go ahead and share it with you. I'm going to preach the gospel truth. I'm going to tell you about what the gospel is. And I'm going to tell you the gospel truth. And here is something that happens. The Bible said that Paul came among a bunch of believers. And the Bible said that when he was talking to them, and he said, have you received since you have believed? Well, we we don't know what there is to receive in short language. And he says, well, under what baptism were you baptized? And they say, well, we were baptized under John's baptism, meaning we've only been baptized unto repentance, but we believe in Jesus. And here's what he then said. Let me show you something else about this. And when he baptized them, they were receiving the Holy Ghost. Why? Because if you believe, there is a promise that follows. And these signs shall follow them that... 
It's the power of shout. Believing opens the door to heavenly power. Because to believe the gospel is to believe Hero Israel, the Lord our God, he is one Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came not into the world to condemn the world, but through him that the world might be saved. Let me tell you something about the gospel. When you believe it, it has an effect in your life. And that effect leads to joy unspeakable and full of glory. That effect leads to Holy Ghost and fire. That effect leads... I don't want to be found trying to leave him. I want to I wanna preface what I say very carefully because I'm only thinking about this right now as I'm saying it because it's only coming to my mind. I wonder out of curiosity at any time had Paul ever considered Jesus. Every Pharisee had questions. How the people have gone after him. How bodies are healed and dead men come back to life. How lives are changed and forever transformed by the spoken word. They stood in amazement as 5,000 men, women, and children plus were sitting in a wilderness and five loaves of bread and two fish were broken and it filled them all and 12 baskets were taken. You can't duplicate that. Listen, Paul. We see you're zealous. Something's happening when they preach this name. People that you've been trying to reach, their lives are changed. You just realize it's not you that's reaching them. But on his way to... Saul on his way down the road to Tarsus, the Bible says, a light shines. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, who thou persecutest. Don't you know it's hard for you to kick against the prick? You know what I feel that he was telling him? I've been dealing with you for a long time. You've been pondering me for a long time. You've been rejecting me for a long time. You can't kick against the very thing that's trying to wake you up at night and come into my revelation. You can't kick against the thing that's trying to save you and bring you into Holy Ghost and fire. You can't get on, kick against the thing that's trying to save your family. You can't kick against the thing that's trying to take away your addiction. You can't kick against the thing that's trying to reach into your soul. He wasn't telling him, you can't kick against the thorn bush. 
what I feel he was telling him is, is you can't kick against the sharp object that cuts into you that's cutting into you for a purpose and for a reason I am Jesus who you persecuted and blindness came upon him and for three days he lived in blindness until a man of God laid his hands upon him scales fell from his eyes he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost he was baptized in Jesus name he was washed he was clothed so I come to tell you what I have chosen to do with the remainder of my time I choose to believe that there is no other God, no other Savior, save the Lord Jesus Christ. There is none other who is able to wash away our sins, transform our lives, change us from glory. There is none other. And who shall declare revival in the city of Lonoka other than the name? There will be no other name called over anyone in this baptistry. For there is no other saving name other than I choose to believe him and walk in the authority that he has given. I choose to have faith to lay hands upon the sick and watch them recover. I choose to minister to those that are in broken spirit and watch them. I choose to operate in the anointing that God has given for this hour. For while it is yet day, and the light still shines, the name, the name, the name of Jesus. Oh, why don't we clap our hands and praise him right now? Oh, come on, can we make a joyful noise? All right. Speak it right now over your spirit. Speak it right now over your home. Speak it right now over your soul. Speak it right now over your children and your grandchildren. We speak it right now over Brother Skipper. We speak it right now. Jesus. 